Chapter 9 of The Dawn of Medieval Europe, 476 to 918 by J. H. B. Masterman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. The Lombards in Italy and the Rise of the Papacy. We left Italy cleared of her Gothic invaders and ruled by imperial officers, but in reality, much of northern Italy had become a depopulated desert whose empty and uncultivated plains were only broken by an occasional garrison town into these ownerless territories there came in five sixty eight a new tribe of barbarian immigrants the lombards among the various teutonic tribes they had been almost the last to move southward and for nearly a century had occupied the lands along the danube adjoining those of the ostrogoths and the Gepidae their name of lombards langobardi was probably derived from the long beards that gave a ferocious aspect to these fierce warriors a detachment of them fought as mercenaries under narses in five fifty two so gaining their earliest knowledge of italy and fifteen years later after assisting the avars to exterminate the Gepidae, the whole tribe moved south under its king alboin and poured almost unopposed into the plains of northern italy one by one the roman garrison towns surrendered till ravenna alone remained as an imperial stronghold but the new lombard kingdom had scarcely been organized when alboin died in five seventy two the story of his death is dramatically told by paul the deacon the historian of the lombards after the defeat of the Gepidae, Alboin had the skull of Jepid King Cunamund, whose daughter Rosamund he had married, made into a drinking bowl, and in a drunken carouse in Verona in the year 572, he called for Rosamund and bade her drink joyfully from her father's head. Enraged by the insult, Rosamund procured the assassination of the king. Deprived of their leader, the Lombards broke into smaller parties, each under a chief, and spread farther and farther into central and southern italy they made no attempt at systematic conquest but settled wherever fancy led them so that central italy gradually became dotted over with small lombard settlements intermixed with those of the native italians the native population was probably spared and reduced to a condition of serfdom farther south the two great duchies of spoleto and beneventum grew up only a few fragments of Italy remained in the hands of the empire, chiefly along the coast, which possessed no attractions to people like the Lombards, unaccustomed to a seafaring life. These scattered possessions of the empire were ruled by the exarch of Ravenna, though the actual extent of his authority over Rome or Naples must have been very slight. It would be a tedious task to trace in detail the history of the Lombard kingdom, which was re-established in 583 by the election of Autari, 583-590. His marriage with Theodolinda, the daughter of the Duke of Bavaria, brought the Lombards in touch with Christian influences, and about the year 590 the Lombard king Agilulf, who had succeeded to the kingdom and the hand of Theodolinda, was baptized with many of his followers. The first half of the seventh century, 
was a time of prosperity and expansion for the lombard kingdom district after district was won from the empire which was too much occupied in eastern wars to be able to defend its provinces in the west agilulf who reigned for twenty-five years from five ninety to six fifteen was succeeded after a short interval by another great ruler rotaris who ruled from six thirty six to six fifty two and who is known to history as the author of the first code of lombard laws drawn up with the counsel and consent of our advisers and of all our armed forces rotaris's code shows little trace of roman influence evidently the process of fusion between the races had hardly yet begun while the lombards were settling in northern italy rome was passing slowly out of the hand of the empire and into the hands of her new rulers the popes from the first beginning of the christian church rome as the capital of the empire and as the church associated with the two great apostles peter and paul gave to its bishop a position of special honour among the bishops of the west and in the centuries that followed several causes tended to increase the importance of the roman see in the arian controversy of the fourth century the bishop of rome had been the strongest champion of orthodoxy in the west and when constantine moved the capital of his empire to constantinople the bishop became the most important figure in the old capital in the east the bishops of the three great cities of constantinople antioch and alexandria were granted the title of patriarch and a certain primacy of dignity over the other dioceses of the east in the west the only other bishop whose position could at all rival that of the bishop of rome was the bishop of carthage and when the vandal invasion swept much of the organized church life of north africa away the roman see became undisputed head of the younger christian churches that were gradually growing up in illyria gaul britain and elsewhere at this period the bishop of rome may be regarded as exercising four kinds of authority as bishop he exercised immediate control over the city of rome as metropolitan he superintended the seven bishops whose diocese lay around the city the seven cardinal bishops as they were afterwards called as patriarch he had a somewhat undefined authority within the whole of the prefecture of italy while as the senior bishop of western europe he claimed a general right to intervene in all church matters where the interests of the whole church were affected the emperors of the fifth century ruling either at constantinople or ravenna were not unwilling to concede large powers of jurisdiction to the roman bishops while keeping the patriarchs of constantinople more strictly under their own authority the decline of antioch and alexandria gradually left the patriarch of constantinople as the senior bishop in the east and in the twenty-eighth canon of the council of chalcedon an attempt was made to place the two sees of constantinople and rome in a position of equal dignity but this canon rome declined to accept and the long contest between the eastern and western churches may be said to have begun from that point leo the great four forty to four sixty one was among all the early bishops of rome the one who did most to extend the authority of the roman see both by the vigour with which he asserted the authority of the bishop of that see as the successor of st peter 
and by the ability with which he intervened in theological controversies both in the east where he led the battle against eutychianism and in spain where he supported the orthodox party against the priscillianists footnote the eutychians were the followers of eutyches a monk of the fifth century who asserted that our lord's human nature was absorbed in the divine his opinions were condemned at the council of chalcedon but were revived in the later monophysite and monothelite heresies heresies that taught that our lord has only one nature or one will the priscillianists were a sect that arose in spain in the fourth century partly as a reaction against the worldly tendencies of the church their doctrinal teaching appears to have been a sort of gnosticism they were ruthlessly stamped out by a policy of persecution in which their leader priscillian suffered death End footnote. leo was incomparably the greatest figure in the ecclesiastical world of his time and though his successes were men of less striking character they kept most of the ground that he had won with the arian theodoric the bishops of rome generally kept on good terms we have already seen the only notable exception in the case of john i whose embassy to constantinople ended so disastrously for himself and the peace of the world the pope as we may now begin to call him was elected by the clergy senate and people of rome but as elections had not infrequently led to faction fights and disputes theodoric tried to introduce a more satisfactory method of appointment in five twenty six by nominating felix as pope and felix in his turn issued a letter to the clergy and senate nominating boniface the archdeacon as his successor a period of confusion and party contests followed and while this was going on the gothic rule in italy came to an end and the imperial authority again became supreme for some time the popes were the nominees of the faction in power at the byzantine court vigilius five thirty seven to five fifty five and pelagius the first five fifty five to five sixty were imposed on rome by the emperors and they were followed by three insignificant popes and then by the restorer of the papacy gregory the great by this time the lombard invaders had profoundly changed the position of the bishops of rome toward the empire for not only did the presence in italy of a common foe draw the pope and the emperor into friendly relations but also the lombards practically cut off the territories around rome from the imperial lands round ravenna and so threw the popes on their own resources for defence and organization for centuries the bishops of rome had been receiving grants of lands around rome and elsewhere ever since the restriction of the eastern empire had emancipated the ecclesiastical potentate from secular control the first and most abiding object of his schemes and prayers had been the acquisition of territorial wealth in the neighbourhood of the capital he had indeed a sort of justification for rome a city with neither trade nor industry was crowded with poor for whom it devolved on the bishop to provide the revenues of this patrimonium petri as it was called were applied not only for the relief of the poor but also for the maintenance of the pope and his clergy and it was natural that the idea of territorial sovereignty should grow up in connection with it as soon as imperial authority had ceased to be more than nominal 
Gregory the Great came of a noble Roman family and was born about the year 540. While studying for his father's profession of magistrate, Gregory was taught to love religion by the precepts and example of his mother Sylvia. When he was only a little over thirty years of age, he was appointed by Justin II as Praetor Urbis, an office of great importance and dignity. But on his father's death a few years later he renounced the secular life, disposed of the considerable sum that he had inherited in founding seven monasteries, and himself became a monk. From austerities that were permanently injuring his health, he was rescued by Pope Benedict I, who ordained him as deacon and sent him to Constantinople as an envoy. Gregory stayed some time at Constantinople and then returned to become abbot of the monastery that he had founded in Rome. In 590, Pelagius II died, leaving Rome in dire distress. With the Lombards ravaging outside the walls and the plague and famine destroying within. The general instinct turned to Gregory as the man for the hour, and he was unanimously elected in spite of his own reluctance as Pope. His first work was to call for a season of repentance and to institute processional litanies. A monument of these litanies still remains in the name of the castle of St. Angelo in Rome, for it was said that on the site on which that castle now stands gregory saw as the procession went by the avenging angel sheathing his sword the task that lay before the new pope was a sufficiently discouraging one as he himself says the roman church was like an old and violently scattered ship admitting water on all sides its timbers rotten shaken by daily storms and sounding of wreck immediately on his accession he set about the work of internal reform he regulated the monasteries placed their business arrangements in the hands of laymen endeavoured to enforce a rule of celibacy among the secular clergy wrote a manual of episcopal duties the regula pastoralis which remained for centuries a textbook for all bishops of the west he also introduced those changes in the method of chanting that are still associated with his name and established schools of Gregorian music in Rome. He next proceeded to place on a business footing the administration of the patrimony of St. Peter, appointing rectores or defensores to manage the lands that belonged to the sea in Italy, Africa, Gaul, and elsewhere. We see from his letters how carefully he supervised the work of these officers, and how earnestly he tried to guard against oppression or misgovernment on the estates that belonged to the church. The revenues received from these lands were divided into four equal parts, for the pope, the clergy, the fabric and services of the churches, and the poor. Gregory's own benevolences were on a colossal scale. While this work of internal reform was in progress, external affairs claimed the attention of the pope, the relations between the emperor and the pope needed defining the raids of the lombards required to be curbed and the task of evangelizing the still heathen parts of europe awaited fulfilment gregory's relations with the empire need not be considered in detail while recognizing the imperial authority gregory guarded jealously the independence of the church in spiritual things and more than once he came into collision with Morris on such questions as the appointment of bishops. These collisions may serve to explain the extraordinary letter of congratulation written by Gregory to Phocas 
after his cold-blooded murder of morris and his children the relations between the empire and the pope were further complicated by a quarrel that arose between john the patriarch of constantinople and gregory due to the claim made by the former to the title of universal bishop a claim that gregory passionately resented but did not succeed in inducing the patriarch to surrender gregory's chosen title for himself a title ever since borne by the pope was servus servorum dei with the lombards gregory tried to establish friendly relations the marriage of theodolinda gave the pope a friend at the lombard court but the task of protecting rome from lombard ravages was made more difficult by the unwillingness of romanus the exarch of ravenna to agree to any peace with the invaders more than once agilulf threatened to besiege rome and the city was reduced to great distress but in his letters to the emperor gregory represents the exactions of the imperial officers as more grievous than even the depredations of the lombards the empire could neither defend rome nor leave it to itself however in five ninety nine gregory succeeded in bringing about a peace between the lombard king and the exarch it was not only the lombards from the north who proved a thorn in the side of the pope the dukes of spoleto and beneventum were troublesome neighbours and the exarch practically left to gregory the task of organizing the defence of the imperial territories in the south of italy gregory appointed civil and military officers himself he nominated constantius tribune of naples when that city was hard pressed by the lombards and entrusted the administration of napi in southern tuscany to leontius he made peace on his own account with the lombards when they were at war with the imperial representative and asserted that his own station was higher than that of the exarch all this greatly enhanced the prestige of the papacy and laid the foundation of those territorial claims that were destined to play so large a part in the subsequent history of the roman church gregory was also a zealous promoter of the missionary activity of the church his most notable achievement in this direction was the mission to england which had lapsed into paganism after the anglo-saxon conquest it was while he was abbot and papal secretary under pelagius that the well-known incident is recorded to have occurred of his meeting the northumbrian children exposed for sale in the forum of rome he is said to have actually started for england when the outcry of the roman people compelled the pope to recall him eight years after he became pope he sent augustine on the mission to england the history of which belongs to english rather than european history gregory's pastoral care extended over the whole of western europe he wrote letters of congratulation and good advice to recared the visigothic king on his renunciation of arianism at the council of toledo in five eighty nine he corresponded in friendly fashion with the bishops of gaul and their frankish sovereigns he tried to wean the irish bishops by peaceable discussion from the heretical opinions that they held gregory died in 604 having in his fifteen years of rule raised the apostolic see to a new position of authority in europe and laid the foundation for those claims that reached their full expression nearly five hundred years later for more than a century after the death of gregory the papal chair was filled by men of no special importance 
nominees for the most part of the emperor or his exarch the only important exception was martin the first six forty nine to six fifty three whose opposition to the efforts of constantinus to induce monothelites and defenders of orthodoxy to live together in peace brought him into collision with the emperor who lured him to constantinople and there arraigned him on a charge of political intrigue and had him deposed and imprisoned till his death a few months later the anarchy that followed the death of constantine v once more threw on the popes the work of providing for their own defence and so helped to inaugurate a new period of advance in the powers of the papacy this new chapter in the history of rome opens with the election of gregory the second to the papal chair in seven fifteen the latter half of the seventh century is also a period of comparative unimportance in the history of the lombards rotarus was succeeded by his son who was shortly afterwards murdered and a nephew of theodolinda then reigned for ten years leaving the throne on his death to his two sons between the two heirs war soon broke out and grimuald duke of beneventum seized the crown and for nearly ten years kept the lombard territories intact in spite of the attempts of constantinus to re-establish the imperial authority on his death the lombard nobles summoned back one of the brothers whom grimoald had chased from the kingdom bertani whose seventeen years of rule were a time of peace and good government in the kingdom his son cunibert who succeeded on his death in six eighty eight was disturbed by rebellions among his nobles and a time of civil wars between rival claimants to the throne lasted till the accession of liutprand in seven twelve thus early in the eighth century the papacy and the lombard crown passed almost simultaneously into stronger hands and the history of italy becomes once more full of interest End of chapter nine